Hello listeners, welcome to Zone 1 Digest. Next up on this edition, we've got Matthew Layton, founder of Zone 1 Radio and apostle of the age of Twitter, to which I and my fellow volunteers are merely disciples and we bow before and worship him, etc, etc, contractual obligations filled. Just kidding. Um, yeah, Matthew's motorsport show, London GP, went and had a chat with newest driver to get an F1 seat, Finn Valtieri Botas, who will be driving for Williams next season. While you listen to that, Matthew's shoes aren't going to give themselves a tongue bath, so I'll get started. Ew. Because just briefly, because that's what we do. Yeah. I've just found Valtteri Bottas's mobile number. <laughs> he's a great bloke, uh, and I'm really, really pleased that he's got that drive. Yeah, I mean, I, as you know, I spoke to him last year, about this time last year, when he got um, got a bit of a, a promotion at, at, at Williams. And do you know what? He's certainly not there for his charisma, is he? I mean, Bruno, as you say, just really lovely, warm bloke. Yeah. Um, so there are one of two things that are going to happen in this show today. Either I'm going to call Valtteri and get him, or I'm going to play last year's interview again. But either way, it's like blood out of a stone. He is the... He's the, a typical Finn. Yeah, yeah exa- exactly what you want from a Finnish driver. Is like, as I pedal furiously going, well, what do you think about that? Wasn't that quite exciting? Mm, it was okay. Yeah, you're not going to get him to say anything particularly exciting. But um, it'd be interesting to, to, to actually think get from him what he can achieve next year because he's going up against Maldonado who we all know has a fantastic turn of speed when it all comes together and, and when it doesn't it, it goes spectacularly wrong so where does he think he can he can fit in next to that Alright, uh, Andrew van der Berg is editor-in-chief of Autosport and he's going to be putting on his dinner suit this weekend Thanks Andy My pleasure So, as you probably guessed, I couldn't get through to Valtteri. He's much too important to speak to us now. So, I'm going to play the interview I recorded with him last year. I've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it again. Getting a decent interview out of a Finnish driver is like getting blood out of a stone. You'll enjoy this interview, mainly because you'll enjoy the sound of me really struggling. Congratulations on uh, your season this year. You won the GP3 title. How was it for you? Thanks. Yeah, it was was really tough season, actually, because the first half of the season was really, really hard. We were struggling with the car setup. We were struggling mainly to get the tires working. And uh, once we got it in uh, Nürburgring, when that was the fifth round of the season, that was it, really. We No one could stop us anymore so really <laughs> turned it turned it well around in the mi- middle of the season well congratulations as i say um how are things at williams not quite as going quite as well there at the moment is it well yeah for sure the season has been i think hardest of their history but everyone is working really really hard and also there's some new people just came in to the team so for sure we are pushing everyone is trying everything they can to get the car to a better level. And we'll see this weekend if, if we can catch some points. I think you will. Is it frustrating being a test driver when there's no testing? For sure, it's for a young driver, it's, it's quite difficult. So far, I've done only straight line testing and simulator driving. So, of course, you would like to drive the F1 car in the proper track 
that would be really nice to get some mileage. But yeah, it, it's quite hard. But that's just at the moment that's the way it is. Are you allowed to drive um, the older cars to to get used to the speed and stuff like that? Um, I haven't drove any older cars, and actually, I don't know if it's really allowed. But I haven't haven't done it. What's Sir Frank like as a boss? Frank is a really really great person, and he's a really big motivation for everyone at the factory. He's he's there every day, and uh, yeah, he's a great person, and he's he's made really good job to bring the team up from as little as little as they started with Patrick. So great person. And of course, you've got two other big personalities there, Rubens and Pastor. What what do they like to work with? Well, they are both really good racing drivers and Rubens get he has so much experience that always when he speaks about the how the car is handling and giving some comments of the car. I've been you know, always trying to listen because he has so much experience, so many years, so many Grand Prix. And uh, yeah, Pastor is a... This is Someone Radio. That's about all we have time for this edition of Zone 1 Digest, and what a digest it's been. For more of Zone 1 Radio's great content, stay glued to our website, zone1radio.com, and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash zone1radio. Before we go, just enough time to paste on the end an excerpt from Marvin Neuro of Zone 1 Radio's awesome little interview with his mentor and Princess Trust board member, David Akinsanya, on the subject of volunteering. Thanks for listening, and it's over to you, Marvin. So do you think cause do you think being a black person in a seaside resort that you made life harder as well? Um well I mean I was uh, I was partly in a, I was boarding school, but at the weekends I used to go back to a town called Basildon, which is really rough and it's got a real kind of gang culture. It has had for years. Do you know what I mean? You only have to see the film Essex Boys and all that to know what was going on there. Um lots of drugs, lots of um you know, fighting. I did a lot of fighting when I was young. And um eventually the law caught up with me when I was about seventeen. I was in sixth form. So I wasn't like I hated school or anything like that. I was quite bright. I was in sixth form and I was living on my own and we were going out nicking cars and doing all this and the police caught up with us. They got our fingerprints. And when I went to court, I'm ashamed to say um, that I had over 800 charges going back over two years. Um, and so I was I was sent to prison. And in fact, actually, I know people don't like me saying this, but that was probably a really good thing for me at that time because um, I did short, sharp shock already, which was like um, boot camp. That didn't work. I came out, I was built like a brick shit house. I was really strong and angry. Um, and then they sent me to a ball stall and it was an open ball stall. So if you wanted to walk out, you could. But then if they caught you, you'd be sent to a proper prison. Um, and at this ball stall, the governor said to me one day, will you come into a local school and talk to them about what it's like to be in prison? And so I did. And that was a turning point for me. When I realised that this group, this whole classroom, who were probably noisy, messing about normally, were dead quiet. A, because I think there's a bit of intrigue about knowing someone who's in prison. And I was actually wearing my prison uniform as well. And I think that was the turning point for me, was being able to sit down with these kids and say to them, look, I messed up. Um, I'm now in prison. In those days, you did have to poo in a bucket in your room and slop out. You don't do that anymore, I know. Maybe they should bring that back. But you know what I mean? It, it, you know, I had to tell these kids what it was like. And when I came out of prison that time, my probation officer said to me, 
David, you're not a criminal. You know, you've hanging around with the wrong people, you're not being looked after properly, um, but you're not a criminal. And she said to me, if you go and do voluntary work, you won't have to come and see me every week. So I, I, I through the local hospital and through NACRO, which is a, a an organisation that supports ex-offenders, I started teaching English, drama and social skills to other prisoners because when I was in prison, I noticed that most of the boys didn't read or write properly. So I, I did that and I got involved in hospital radio at the local hospital, um, got a taste for the media... And then I came to London and worked voluntary, running an organisation for kids who have been in care. And, um, and I got more interested in media then. And I applied to the Prince's Trust for a grant. They gave me the money to buy a typewriter and a recorder and a few other bits and pieces so that I had all the equipment I needed to be a journalist. And then luckily someone offered me a job at the Sunday Times. Um, working for um, a journalist there called Brian Deere and um, basically he used me to go and get interviews that there's no way he could have got and that was with gang members prostitutes, I'm not saying I like these people but you know what I mean, I can deal with those people and I don't have the fear that these Oxford and Cambridge and university educated people had I was used to these people so he would do articles about this that and the other and I would just go out and talk to real people and give him the quotes and he would use them in his articles I kept on applying for jobs at the BBC, um, but in those days, you didn't get into the BBC if you hadn't been to Oxford and Cambridge. You certainly didn't get in if you were black and you'd been to prison. But I kept on applying, and eventually a friend of mine um, knew someone who worked on a programme that I applied for a job to. I went along to the... I got called in for an interview, and when I went into the interview, I see my CV there with all tea bag stains on it. I said to him, oh, my God, what's my CV look... He said it was in the bin. Your application form was in the bin because you didn't go to university, you got a criminal record, and, you know, that's we, we don't consider people like that. But luckily someone said, see you, so we're seeing you, and they give me the job as a trainee assistant producer, which was a three-year contract. And um, I did that, and when that finished, they didn't want to let me go, and I stayed there for 20-odd years, okay. more than 20 years.